everyone. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with uh, Eric Kaufman, a professor, distinguished author, and uh, CSBI fellow. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today? Good, Richard. It's uh, good to be back. And, uh, you know, um, always, always pleased to see CSBI doing so well. Yes, you know, I think you're. I think you. This might be your fourth appearance. I think you're the record holder uh, for most most podcasts. So yeah, thanks for you know you're obviously a big part of that. And we're here to uh, talk about your uh, new report uh, called "Diverse and Divided: A Political De- uh, Demography of American Elite Students." Um, and so, tell us about the survey. How did it come about? Uh, you know, how did you uh, uh, collect the data? And you know, what is what were you trying to find out? Well, yeah, I mean, I was just sort of noticing, uh, I know some of the uh, statisticians at FIRE, and they do this survey every year, and it's got a lot of undergraduates on it. It's got something like, you know, thirty to 40,000 students a year. So after a couple of years, that was sort of almost 60,000 um, 60, surveys. And I thought, well, this is actually, this can tell us a lot about, because there's only really about four years, uh, you know, 18 to 21 maybe is the age range. So it can tell us a lot about young people. And it's a pretty unparalleled data source for that. So I kind of said, well, let's kind of let's look at what this tells us about the US student population and their politics. Um, And so that's what sort of interested me uh, initially. Mm -hmm. And what's the, you know, what's the, what's the main takeaway? I think before I read this report, I would have thought probably, you know, they're all just going to be leftist and there's going to be a sort of, uh, you know, I, some of the demographic stuff is predictable. And I would have thought it just sort of different degrees of leftism. I, I would have actually been surprised if there were that many uh, majority conservative uh, universities in the country, but it was more conservative than I thought. Is that, uh, is, is that, is that how you reacted to the data too? Well, not so much. Well, it depends what way you're looking at it. I mean, I guess if your stereotype was that undergraduates at the elite 15%, so this is mainly students in the R1, it's sort of the top 15% uh, of universities. So if if your perception was they're all basically liberals, then yes, I mean, there is a sort of well, 22%, 23% conservative group and similar share of Republicans amongst these elite students. So yes, I guess that's one one thing. But also more than that, I guess, is the fact they're not monolithic, but more than that, they're actually more uh, divided arguably by identity than the greater U.S. electorate. Um, and that's sort of the big finding is that if this is the future elite of the country, um, we're going to see big splits probably going going forward. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, you're right. Um, but still, I mean, it's the white males uh, you know, the white males are liberal in the aggregate. So you will see, you know, there, there's a division where it's like a hundred percent of, you know, the minority elite will be uh, liberal and maybe like 70%. So maybe, maybe it's, I mean, maybe it's uh the future is a, um, is a united elite because there, there are, I don't think there are many demographics, you know, you can narrow down white Christian, you know, that's true, man, you know, white Christian heterosexual male. That's not, you know, tons and tons of people, right. That's just a, and they're not, you know, completely conservative. So is it, could the lesson be also that just, it's a, it's going to be a united elite. That's very liberal, even though there's demographic differences. Well, I, I think if you look at the current elite, if you look at sort of the current electorate in the U S um, you know, they are not as divided by religion, sexuality, uh, race, and gender as these students are in their politics. And so my starting point, I suppose, would be to say this elite looks like it's going to be more, not less, 
divided. I mean, and the reason for that is that divisions around identity I see as being stickier than divisions around socioeconomics. And if you look at financial aid, status, class, these sorts of things have almost no predictive power amongst these students in terms of their politics, uh, whereas it's all identity. And, and whereas if you take the wider uh, U.S. public sample, the economic stuff matters more than it does for the students. And the identity stuff is less powerful for predicting political beliefs. So kind of the picture that emerges here is that these divisions are probably going to be stickier and people are find it harder to compromise on uh, you know politics that's tied to identity than politics that's tied to arguably to class or or income so i guess the prognosis from that would be there's maybe going to be less willingness to negotiate and accommodate than there is currently now that's not so that doesn't point in a in a rosy direction so you are um, so figure like figure fourteen for example. Uh, you have proportion Republican identifiers by subgroup, uh, white Christians all forty eight percent. Okay, so that you know that group is pretty evenly divided. All white males only thirty six percent. So this is taking. Well, I um, should say that that doesn't include. So there is a significant um, independent group, right? So right. just because it's forty eight, if it's forty eight percent Republican for I think it was white Christian males. Probably it's thirty something percent Democrat. It's not. Oh, 50%. that's the, the proportion. The proportion yeah, also includes so, independence. Okay. So those are solidly more right leaning than left leaning. Yeah. So so amongst students in elite universities, white males who identify as Christian. That's not. Sorry, I should say that's have a Christian affiliation. In other words, you are not ticking the I have no religion box. That's all it is. So these are relatively nominal, or at best, you know, they may be mainline. This is not evangelical. This is just anyone who doesn't go for the non-religion box or other religion. And how many, how many, uh, so yes, I have a white male Christian, 55 Republican, and then white Christian all, which I guess includes women, um, is uh, uh, 48. Um, the uh, How many, uh, do you rem- remember approximately how many whites identify as Christian versus something else? It's, in it's religion? something like, I mean, in the entire data set, it's, it's a slight preponderance Christian over over non-religious. It's something like 45, 38 or something, uh-huh. something okay. like that. So there's still more Christians than non-religious in the R1 schools by a number, a few percentage points. Um, so pretty evenly sized groups. But what's striking is that amongst that white group that identifies as Christian as opposed to non-religious, so a pretty mild kind of identification, uh, they are actually more ro- Republican and right-leaning amongst the student body. And actually, when we compare to the public, the general American population, you know, white white males, white male Christians, they look pretty similar to the general population in their politics. Whereas if you are a minority female, LGBTQ, etc., then that is, you know, there are almost no Republicans in those groups. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this is all conflated because how you identify in you know the religion you know and the politics is so intertwined so like you know you could say you're a christian you could be a cultural christian it doesn't really necessarily mean you are much of a believer um and then people who do that i think are more likely to be republicans you know you've written about lgbt and how sort of malleable that is race is also you know pretty pretty malleable people can you know claim identities based on Mm -hmm. some distant ancestor um (laughs) 
<laughs> and so, you know, it's college just sort of, you know, it's like, it's like flattening all these things. It's like, okay, if you're, you know, if you're in this tribe, you're trying to be as, uh, you know, least white and least straight as possible and least Christian as possible. And if you're in this tribe, you sort of go in the other direction and all that stuff is going to, you know, show up in the data like, oh, white Christian, you know, predicts conservative where it's all just like one big thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it is interesting, though, to contrast this with the data from the general public in this CCES or ANES surveys where... It just seems like in these elite college environments, the environment seems to heighten the connection between identity and politics. Like that's there in the general public as well, uh, but it just seems to be accentuated in these in the young elites environments like this. So some so for a good example would be you know especially if we take minority or female young people in the general population, and then you take minority and female elite students. The share of conservatives amongst women and minorities is not that low in the general population and even the general young population, but it really tanks amongst elite students. So so the really underrepresented groups are, you know, minority conservatives and female conservatives. Those are the groups, like if you were really doing DEI for real, you'd probably be targeting those groups because they just don't, you know, they, they somehow vaporize before they set foot on campus. Yeah. I mean, part of it is, I mean, okay, if you're a woman and you're conservative, I mean, a lot of uh, conservative women get married and have children pretty, uh, pretty early. I mean, there's some religious communities where it's, you know, a lot earlier than, you know, us sort of urban educated people would, would suspect. So you do have, I mean, you do have that, you do have sort of the, uh, you know, the cleavage off before they, before they get to college. Um, yeah. And I wonder, I mean, is it that like, you know, college, you know, Heinz, he said, or is it just like being, you know, intelligent, educated, paying attention to what's going on? They're just, you know, they're just getting the signals from the, there's just elite signals that basically all minorities and all women have to be, you know, left wing and, uh, you know, uh, conversely, white men tend to be more right wing, right? It seems like it's just uh, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this was like, if you just looked at like higher, yeah, well, I know, I know this is true that, um, you know, the, the higher, more education, more educated, more uh, income you have, um, the more um, uh, the more you tend to sort of have ideologically consistent views. You tend to be like down the line. Right, yeah. That's down the kind of liberal. And it's not about being in college. I mean, this is even people who are, you know, older and haven't been to college in a while. Uh, so it seems like, yeah, it seems like there's just these sort of, yeah, these, these divisions, they become... Now, let me ask you this. How much do you think these divisions are sort of um, socially constructed? They're just like, uh, they're just like, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, uh, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you tell people blacks are like this and women are like this and you know, Hispanics are like, are like that. Or how much of it is just sort of like natural, like in men and women, you might say they see the world differently. They have different experiences could be true for uh, races. Uh, do you have a sense of like, you know, just thoughts about like how much is uh, each of these things going on? Well, I think the social construction side, you're right, that, that we, we know from political science, there's a long literature that, you know, better educated are more likely to sort, you know, issues into ideologies, into parties. Uh, and, but I think this seems to have a really big effect on minorities in particular, because we know, for, particularly for African Americans, that there's very low sorting and low polarization in general. So may, but maybe on a college campus, that equation comes, you know, it, it, the equation is being made by other people. So I, I kind of would think a certain social construction effect is going on that's really hitting 
minorities, particularly African-Americans who come to university. And then for women, maybe two, perhaps, you know, that their sort of political socialization is just more intense. The expectations are more intense on campus. Um, in terms of the evolutionary side, I think if that were true, we would see it, I guess, also in the uh, non-university population uh, or, or in, the, in, in the groups that are going to lower ranked colleges, but we don't see it as much. It, it really seems like it's more intense in the elite college environment. Uh, so I think there is, a, a, at, at the very least, you know, social environment, I think, is playing a, a role uh, in perhaps in some in interaction with certain psychological predispositions like high openness, maybe. Uh, but that's that's really producing a female and minority uh, student population that looks quite different from the from their counterparts in the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my, you know, just going back to sort of my, you know, impression from re- reading this, it's more, I mean, the, there are more, um, you know, Republicans almost everywhere than I would have thought. So you have this poor portion, I, going back to that uh, figure of uh, 12, it's like all from all students, This and these are elite students, right? R1, R, R2, or just R1? It's almost, it's sort of 75% R1 and most of the rest R2. Okay, and then you have Ivy Leagues, and you have these uh, liberal arts colleges, right? So you have you have the uh, you know the top uh, you know few percent of of college students, or top what, what percentage of it are, does this cover of uh, college it's about students? About fifteen percent, I would say, top fifteen, heavily weighted. And then you have uh, so all you know from all students, you have twenty three percent Republican, fifty five percent Democrat, and the rest are independent. According to this, I mean, there's two things here. First of all, this is this is the Trump era. Uh, when I think that the um, proportion identifying as Republican has to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, at its lowest point. I think any other pre- Republican um, who's the most famous Republican in the country is probably going to appeal more to uh, people who are college educated. I think this is, I think this is, I think, uh, you know, who the like leader of each party is actually plays an outsized role uh, in the public imagination. Uh, the other thing is, I mean, there's also the, um, yeah, and you know this, you, uh, you know, you did the LGBT uh, study and, and you, you saw that, you know, the gay people who identify as gay are probably much more likely to fill out surveys. Um, what, uh, you know, I've, I've done a recent, recently written about uh, Democrats and liberals being more likely to answer polling in the context mm. of uh, presidential elections. So there's got to be, I mean, there's no reason to think that something like that is not going on here too, right? I mean, when you see, when you find these like, you know, data where like in these schools, like 50% are LGBT, like, you know, it's it's probably not that high. I mean, it, just based on what, what else we know. Uh, do you think that's right? Yeah, I think that is right. It, it's, it's only, it's very difficult to know how big the inflation is on LGBT. Um, you know, of course, as you see, you know, with with comparing census data in Canada and Britain, you know, we the inflation could be as high as three times. But I I don't know. I, I'm not sure is the answer because there are some people who argue, well, the census undercounts it. I don't know if that's true. Um, but it is just interesting though that this is this identity category is now a major player. Like it's a major factor. Whereas like if you went back to the 1970s, you know, all the students would or heavily be Christian largely white, more male, very few LGBT. I mean, it's a completely different world in a way. Whereas now these built, these major building blocks are, are, they're big, you know, the, the LGBT, the, the no religion block, those are now significant constituencies on campus and are shaping politics. Now, whether 
you know, I, I, my belief would be that that would decline substantially. I mean, the LGBT share will decline substantially as people get older and settle down and whatever. But I, I still think that that is going to be somewhat more important in the in the population and in voting uh, than it than it has been. The other thing I should say, by the way, is we have some overtime data I I gleaned from the. Uh, uh, Higher Education Research Institute, which has sort of got its freshman survey of like I think 100,000 running since 1970, you can see this gender gap emerging. Um, yes, the, the students have been trending liberal since sort of the early mid 2000s, but it's really on the back of, of women who who are now sort of 14 points more liberal than they were in the early 2000s. I, I'm not sure this is really due to individual presidents, right? I mean, you know, there have been multiple presidents since. There's been, a, you know, the Obama era. There was the Bush era. There's the Trump era. And, and I should also say, like in Britain, you know, the young people are also really liberal um, with a whole succession of leaders. So I'm less convinced that it's Trump. I, I actually think this is something a lot deeper than Trump. Oh, I, I do. I do too. I would just be. I would just be surprised if Trump is not uh, suppressing the Republican numbers by five or ten percent. I mean, I would be surprised if he he couldn't keep at least an effect of that magnitude. Do, do you do you disagree with that? I, I I don't. I don't think that's right. I think whoever they get next, I wouldn't expect these numbers to shift a whole ton. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's Trump. <laughs> yeah. Well, so in the 2012 election, I mean, so Romney won college-educated whites, and Trump lost them by a lot. So we saw just you know in eight in in four years. I mean, the um, uh, having a different nominee could just you know switch you know a large portion of uh, uh, educated voters. So why why couldn't that also happen if you know if it's Romney again or somebody like Romney next time? Yeah, it could. I mean, Romney won college-educated whites. I think Trump was. Very close. I, I think it might have been 50. I don't know if he lost them. It's, yeah, well, it was yeah, pretty well, close. Um, I think but, it depends on the polls you look at, the polls yeah, running up to the elections. But, you know, whatever. There's probably some, there's some delta there. There's some significant delta between Romney yeah, and Yeah, I think Trump. There's, some, there's some scope there. I mean, I guess the question is whether the younger elite students are more politically perhaps set in their ways, perhaps, uh, you know, if this is about a kind of political prejudice, you know, the, the fire surveys also show that only 12% of non-Republican students would date a Trump supporter, right? So I, I think you've kind of got a pretty strong, there's pretty strong political bias or pretty political prejudice there. And that might, that might actually withstand a change of leader, um, especially if it's someone like a DeSantis. I'm not sure it would change much. Mm, yeah, I disagree. I think there's something unique about Trump. I think there's something uniquely yeah. aesthetically about Trump that draws certain people to him and that uh, 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 alienates and really draws people the other direction. I, I just think I think he's different. And I think DeSantis, I, I, I think DeSantis would be, the reality would be closer to Romney. I don't think it's as much about like moderate or non-moderate uh, politics. I think it's just like normal human being versus <laughs> I just I just think he's in his own, own category I think anyone else would be sort of closer to closer to Romney and, and how the public uh, would react but uh, any, anyways uh, this is um, you know for the future of politics I was looking at um, you know not that long ago uh, the federal judges and you know in our system, uh, you know, judges is one of the most important things that a president does. And like, they were looking at the breaking down the demographics. I mean, it's amazing. The Democrats, I mean, like white males are a minority. I mean, the, the number of, uh, you know, the, the like, 
uh, blacks among you know the judges appointed by Biden. It's like twenty percent. I mean, just like the Hispanic numbers. Really? I mean, they're, they're they're really really high. I mean, much higher than number of blacks who graduate you know from elite colleges or anything you know you would expect. It's really there's massive diversity um, you know appointmentship in the in the federal if that's a word uh, in the in the federal judiciary. And then people look at um, you know Trump. Um, and the Republicans, and you know, it's what you expect. It's it's uh, you know almost exclusively white, um, a lot of white men, and so you're having like it's just fascinating. The federal right now, there's uh, there is um, there are three liberals on the uh, Supreme Court, and every one of them um, is a, is a uh, is a is a woman. You have um, you have no ma- you have no male liberals on the Supreme Court, which is I mean it's not people don't talk about that enough, but it's uh, you have the uh, the um, you have Sotomayor, um, you have. Uh, Kagan, and then you have uh, uh, Kentaji Br- uh, Brown Jackson, um, and then on the um, conservative side you have uh, six, and you have you know five men uh, and and one woman, um, and you know it's funny there's so much racial diversity on the liberal side. There's three women, each is of a different race. One is Puerto Rican, one is Jewish, uh, and one is black, right? Um, and yeah, interesting. And then, so the entire federal judiciary is becoming basically going in this direction. And from what your research indicates and everything we know indicates that it's going to keep going like this. It's going to be like all judges are going to be white men. In, like, in politics, there'll be more like affirmative action. You'll have like Republicans um, nominating, you know, just, I don't know, like politics, you know, it's like you you vet your judges usually much more than your politicians and the politicians can just, you know, go and, you know, they, they don't even have to be very smart or anything. You can just get anybody to be a politician. And the parties, I think, will seek out some diversity. Democrats will probably give some boost to white men who are more electable and Republicans will do the affirmative action thing and have a lot of more blacks and women uh, than you'd, you'd expect. But um, in the world of bureaucracy and the world of like courts, I think we're going to a very, very polarized place. Um, and I don't know. It's just, I don't know how it's going to play out. It's just going to be a very interesting dynamic. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's really interesting because you, you're right that if, if you take that top education level, it does seem as though we're producing a more identity divided you know, identity polarized elite in the sense that minorities and women are, are, you know, disproportionately in the elite, disproportionately leaning left and white Christian male are, are looking like the rest of the population. So that's a, that's a growing divide. I guess the, the only counter to that would be, I mean, I don't know if you saw that statistic that if you are, I think if you come out of the Ivy league and you're a law grad, your chance of, of clerking is something like 12 or 14 times higher, or maybe it's 12 times higher if you are conservative. And so I think what's happening there is because of the influence, uh, you know, conservatives through the Federalist Society are mining their small seam of talent more intensively. And so presumably if they wanted to just get the Clarence Thomases. And, you know, if they wanted some diversity, they could mine an even smaller seam to, to produce that. Uh, but you're right. In the general scheme of things, they would probably wind up with more white Christian males. Oh, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't think there's many Clarence Thomases. I mean, they're, they're, I don't think there's many at the lower uh, levels. It's um, You're right because, yeah, because there's an equal number of like conservative and liberal judges approximately, but like there's a lot more at elite universities. There's a lot more liberal students, except so just by necessity, conservatives are going to get a kind of affirmative action. They're going to be more likely, but you know, I, I know people, you know, when like, you know, I've been in Yale federal society and, and you know, they don't, they don't talk about like, Oh, all these blacks that are, you know, part participating in Yale fed sock. I mean, they're, they're just not, they're just not there. I mean, I think that if you right. can, um, 
you know, if you if you want to just somebody wanted to be a careerist as much as possible, I think being a minority, uh, being a woman, and going into like conservative politics, like I think that's the best path for you. I mean, that's probably the easiest path to success. Um, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people are are inclined to take that path, especially at elite universities. The socialization and the pressures. I mean, look at what Clarence Thomas how he talks about like you know the pressures that he faced. I mean, it's just it's just too great for most people. Yeah, I mean, I wonder whether they might recruit at lower ranked universities or regional or maybe even historically black colleges or some other source, right? I mean, it's that would probably be the strategy if you wanted. Yeah. If you I wanted think the last to have HBCUs, conservative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I I mean I'm here of course we we've got the conservative party who's who's doing badly now but they they've got a lot of minorities uh, at the front you know in the in the top positions which they've kind of done I think by recruiting heavily from you know from minority conservative students so so I think if you if you want to do it there are ways to do it. Um, but, but, you know, it depends on, they'll probably have to go away from the Ivy league. I'm guessing they'd have to. Have well, to I mean, uh, uh, Amy, uh, Coney Barrett, um, where did she go to law school? She's, um, uh, she was a, um, uh, I know she was teaching at Notre Dame. Uh, she got her JD, I believe I want to say, um, uh, also from Notre Dame. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's, a, you know, it's still a good law school, but it's a little bit down, you know, they have this woman and, you know, she's got this great story with all, you know, all these kids and, you know, these conservative views. So yeah, they, 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 they did do a little bit of that while, you know, the liberals are still appointing just everyone from, you know, Harvard and Yale because liberal conservatives do that too. But like, I think it, the, uh, Amy Coney Barrett is an interesting, uh, counter example of that. Yeah, there are, you know, the, uh, yeah, they're just, I mean, they're just, aren't a lot of black. It's actually, you have conservatives are a minority of students, black, are you know ninety something percent you know more polarized than the general publication and Democrats you know Clarence Thomas is like a unicorn just statistically you're not, you're not <laughs> who goes to elite school you're just not gonna find I many if you find one person like that a generation put, they'll put them on the Supreme Court they would be happy to put another Clarence Thomas on the uh, on the Supreme Court they're just they're just not out there so yeah if you're a young you know black lost <laughs> there's a path of, there's a path available for you the other thing with the UK I mean it's interesting because I, I think the, the UK the the education polarization does not strike me as so extreme and the racial polarization does not strike me uh as extreme right so is is, is that right if which case well, it probably would be easier to it's not as extreme yeah i think that's right and um you know so one of the the, the things you notice is that in the black conservatives tend to be of an african background um african immigrant background or or let's say second generation whereas the caribbean uh black tend to be in the Labour Party and on the left. So mm, that's kind of a split. Yeah. And then the, similarly with the South Asians, the Pakistanis and the more Muslim groups tend to be on the left and the Hindus and Sikhs are more on the right. So you kind of, there is a certain sorting by ethnicity. Uh, I mean, it's not to say all the Hindus and Sikhs are, are on the right. They're probably split evenly, whereas Pakistanis and Bangladeshis are probably heavily uh, on the left. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so in our country, we do not have, I mean, a lot of immigrant blacks involved in, well, because you're, you're, you know, you don't have any uh, native blacks. So, I mean, they're going to be immigrants. Um, yeah. There was this one woman uh, called uh, Mia Love, um, who was like, I think a Mormon convert. She was, her background from Haiti. Um, she was, a, I think she lost her reelection, but she did serve as a, a congresswoman, as a, as a Republican. Um, right. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, Colin Powell, uh, Colin Powell had a Caribbean background, and then so did um, Eric Holder. Um, 
on the other right. side. I don't think they were born there, but their their families uh, came from there. And so, yeah, in America, we don't even we don't even think of them as like you know immigrants. We just we just see blacks assimilating. We just see them as you know black people, and we see them as assimilating into the larger uh, population. The the uh, you know the Caribbean. I mean, the Caribbean. I guess they have the history of colonization. I don't know if that if that's part of it, or but in you know the Africans, you know yeah. or something else. But I mean, I would be interested to see more. Africans. I mean, we have Obama, obviously, whose dad was from right. East Africa, and then um, you know, like Elhan Omar. So there's not a lot of conservatives that I could think of that come from uh, African backgrounds. But it would be interesting if, if such people started yeah, because a lot of their politics. Because one of the sort of the most populist, anti woke, kind of tough, tough on the border candidates here was someone called Kemi Badnock, who was a, a Nigerian uh, immigrant background, who ran for and actually topped the you know it was the top choice of the members although the members of parliament got to winnow it down to the final two so they didn't include her but it's just yeah i think there is uh, i don't know i mean in a way even even a really really small percentage of a really large number is still quite a few people so i mean if you had an efficient selecting mechanisms they're probably the you know i'm just thinking of it's like the black conservatives on twitter the you know the the or, or let's say the dissidents like Goldman Hughes and, and uh, McWhorter and um, Wilfred Riley and people like that. There, so there must be those people as well uh, coming out of law school, but you have to be able to identify them. Yeah, I, I just I don't think they I don't think they exist. I mean, I, like you know, if you look at the top elite schools, I mean, Yale has you know a few hundred graduates. You know, maybe ten percent are black um you know maybe one is probably going to be conservative a year i mean so like yeah, yeah you have like true. one more from harvard and one more for you know stanford and who knows what they want to do with their lives if they won't even want to be you know judges or whatever so yeah i i would be um yeah i mean maybe 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 hispanics maybe you'll have, have more luck there um i think they're i think hispanics you know there's not as much affirmative action being practiced so i think if you know if you see more hispanics coming into elite universities uh, maybe that would probably be uh, a more useful place to search but yeah and then the the women thing i mean i really do think the conservatives are handicapped here by the fact that a lot of women do uh get married and have children and are not the most you know necessarily willing to throw you know forget everything else and just focus on career i mean amy coney barrett was able to do it right and she had you know seven kids and a few of them were adopted um but that's just not the i think you know that most people can't do that um, no. <laughs> and so, yeah and so you know what, what can you do there Super i think human i think but uh <laughs> yeah right so i think you have to uh i don't know like what do you think what do you think like i think the liberal like the liberal this doesn't pose difficulties for liberals they look at data like this they can say oh we'll just say you know diversity is good and we're the party of diversity and we're the compassionate people who uh take into account the feelings and interests of you know all groups um what's the conservative answer i mean do you just recruit affirmative action and try to downplay or do you embrace it you know do you embrace it to um a certain extent uh, have you thought about this well i don't i think hmm I mean, there's some degree to which you can do affirmative action, and but I think there's also a danger in in essentially play you know playing them at their own game because you're affirming that view of the world that that essentially more diversity is always is always to the good. Whereas I think probably the sensible thing is to do do some diversity. You know, no doubt there will be a disproportionate number of women or, or non-whites compared to the to the pipeline. But on the other hand. Uh, you don't want to, you know, you also want to have your most talent, you know, whoever the most talented person is in the job as well. So you kind of have to balance those two. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know what the Democrat, what the liberal side is, what their thoughts are on something like judges. You know, are they going to go for just maximal diversity to the point where there are no white men? It's all uh, in in their uh, nominees. I don't know. I mean, that would seem to be a strategy that I don't think will play that well. Uh, the optics of that may not play that well, even for minorities, I, I, particularly Latinos, for example. I'm not sure they're going to, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, from people, yeah, from people I talk to um, who are involved in you know high level judicial politics, like there's actually you know I think that some people think of judicial appointments like you just want you know in our system where the judges are so important, you just want the judges to rule in the right way, right? Um, so competence is really maybe not that important. But the people tell me is that like being smart, like being the best person actually does matter because you, you know, there's a lot of strategic, you know, uh, strategy and like, you know, which, uh, which arguments you noticed, you know, what has a fact, like which cases you, you decide to take and which cases you decide to, uh, uh, pass on. So, yeah, I think this, I think this kind of affirmative action, I, the Democrats are, uh, undertaking, I think it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be self-defeating, um, in the end. Um, the, uh, yeah, but I guess my, you know, my question was how do, like, okay, so yeah, conservatives do a little bit maybe of preferences, but then they, you know, but then they really don't, and they just all end up being a bunch of white men. I mean, the question is like, do they, can they avoid, like, what what are they, what's the response though? When like, you know, is, is there like a sort of a, a party line on like the response to when liberals say, oh, this is wrong. There's something bad about you. You're just, uh, you're just uh, trying to bring more privilege to those who are already privileged. I mean, is there, is there a political way to sort of uh, answer this? Well, well, my own my view on this is that, you know, I would just say, well, the privilege or no privilege is not the highest value. The highest value has to be competence. You know, stick to the meritocratic line that it's, you know, we'll take it into account where there's a tie break. We'll, 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 we'll use. But they'll, use so they'll say, why is, why is, why are you 95% white men if, if you're competent? Are you saying that white men are more competent than other people? Well, I mean, you have to look at your pipeline of, you know, you just say, well, what's our pipeline like? We're reflecting our pipeline. So, so I don't know what the, I mean, who knows what the actual selection will be. I presume it should reflect the pipeline whatever demographics are in the pipeline is what's going to wind up. Well, you'll, yeah, but then you'll say, okay, why does your ideology, why does your ideology only appeal to these, <laughs> to these bad people? You see, there's, there has to be, you know, I, I think there has to be an answer. I think there has to be something beyond, you know. Well, it doesn't only appeal, though, does it? I mean, it's going to be, yes, it'll be less diverse than the uh, Democrat pipeline, but, mm. you know, this is not, it's not the fault of the ideology that it attracts certain groups more than other groups. Well, I mean, you can certainly point, well, you can certainly point to the wider voting mm. public, like, if, you, if that's the concern, you can just say, well, this may be a, uh, an artifact of the elite pipeline, but if we look at the wider population, very clearly there are a lot of particularly Hispanic and Asian people voting for the Republicans, it's not really a problem at the at the mass level. But maybe the particularities of the uh, elite game mean that there's a certain stereotyping that goes on and that, that tends to push minorities into the left column. Maybe what you can say is that culture is, is socially constructing minorities into the, into the liberal column. So maybe that is... That's where you're saying, well, that sh this shouldn't be happening. We should actually be trying to move away from political typing of minorities and, and just take people more on the, uh, as individuals, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. Just have a yeah obvious answer. I you know I would just I would embrace the I would embrace being the male party. I would embrace it, and I would say, our women, 
you know, the women are, we have women on our side, but they often want to get married and have children. That is a legitimate uh, lifestyle choice. Um, and you are discriminating and denigrating them by saying that they have to be equally represented as men and saying that their lives are uh, less valuable or they're contributing less to society. I, I would, you know, I would take a little bit, maybe more of a aggressive role on this. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think this idea of uh, discrimination, right? That, that essentially gender or racial discrimination is, is, is something we're against. I mean, I think that's a, a useful way to proceed, right? Cause if you are, if you are essentially selecting for, uh, you know, race and, and gender, then that is a form of discrimination. So, yeah, I think that's probably a strong card to play. Um, you know, I don't know, leaning into, you know, we are a male party, I'm not sure that's a great idea. I mean, the other thing is, of course... Male and women who like men and who like heteronormative relations. Yeah, I maybe, yeah. Right. I mean, I think, though, the... the evidence... So one of the... Ev- you know, there's different bits of evidence. I mean, one is there's a huge divide politically between particularly stay-at-home uh, mums, you know, who trend much more heavily Republican. Um, but also the fact, I think, that, you know, whether you are Republican or Democrat is is heavily determined also by psychology. And, and so there's, even amongst career women, you're going to have you know, probably a certain proportion that are, are leaning right, you know, even amongst the most unlikely demographics. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. You, I'm not sure I'd go with typing by by gender, but I'd say uh, definitely put you know saying that we don't do discrimination on the basis of race and sex. I think that's probably the best the best answer. Yeah, right. And then you know, effort in politics. I mean, electoral politics. I I think is fine. But although it it can you know because it's like it's like you know politicians aren't necessarily you know they're, they're supposed to just they're they are supposed to represent the people right <laughs> they are like yeah, yeah, people they don't but, but you know you it's I think it's gone disastrous I think with Georgia I don't know if you've been paying attention to the race in Georgia but this guy Herschel oh, Walker this Herschel Walker yeah 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 Trump loves and who's had you know multiple abortions and multiple children out of wedlock and men- multiple mental issues yeah he's oh. uh, yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's it seems like a car fun. crash <laughs> <laughs> he still might win I mean it's not it's not hard really oh my goodness yeah he still might win but yeah you could see the the you know when you're selecting from a small pool and you're desperate for black republicans i think this often happens you just you just you know you you just don't have uh anybody of of quality you could point to um so the the most right-leaning student bodies you have this other uh figure it's uh, number 28 um how many uh do you it looks like there is one two three four five six seven eight nine ten schools where more republicans than democrats is that every school with uh uh, more, uh, That's pretty much it. It's 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 pretty much around a dozen um, out of 160 or so. So so yeah, I mean, this is the other part of the report. Of course, is there's a, it's also a rankings system uh, of viewpoint diversity, and what I mean by that is um, an even number of liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats get, gets you the top score. And University of Arkansas, I think, got top spot as the most viewpoint diverse compiled out of the 2020-2021 data. So, and, and what you kind of see is that, you know, it's really those red state, deep red flagship universities where you have the most even mix. A, a lot of them will have a significant number of liberals. I mean, a Brigham Young University, people think these are all conservative. Not at all. I mean, even a BYU, I think, has got 30-something percent uh, liberal and 48, something like 48% conservative but in many of those uh, red state schools, it's pretty even. And of course, the point there is, and and this is something that I don't address as much in this report, but I have looked at the data, is that essentially 
the fear of speaking your mind and, and the degree to which you self-censor is very tied to the mix and the ideological mix. So the more viewpoint diversity, the freer the conversation. And so actually, one of the points I make also in my unheard uh, piece is that, you know, where people fled the fled the interior for the coastal cities to find that intellectual freedom, it, it's almost a century later, uh, it looks like that's almost turning around where people are almost going to have to flee the sort of liberal arts colleges and Ivy Leagues, uh, East Coast schools or, or West Coast schools for the heartland in order to find that uh, freer intellectual climate. Um, and so that, that was one of the ironies. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Hillsdale is like something, you know, you have all these uh, interior schools, but then Hillsdale is something completely different. It's an outlier. Uh, it's 76% conservative, 11 liberal. The second place is Utah State at 49 conservative and 30 liberal. So everything is just like two to one is like the most, you know, and it's not even two to one. It's like, you know, 50% more conservatives than liberals is the most you could expect. And then Hillsdale, you have, you know, uh, six or seven times more uh, conservatives than liberals. And it's very interesting. I mean, they, they had a strategy of they do not take federal funds. Funding, so they don't have to comply with um, civil rights law. So they they are very um, they are a very you know explicitly conservative uh, place. And I don't think it's even um, you know I, I don't think it's even it's not like Liberty University. It's not tied to like even maybe it is a Christian school. I'm not sure, but I I don't think it's even um, uh, if religion. I don't know if religion is central uh, to its identity. Let me look this up. But the the, the student body is. Heavily Christian. Um, uh, yeah, of course. I'm not sure it is a. It's not some kind of a requirement. Uh, and so, yeah, it seems that. But it's definitely an outlier. There's no question about it. In its makeup is is completely, you know, off the scale compared to every other <laughs> college. Now, however, having said that, of course, the liberal arts colleges are less politically diverse than Hillsdale. Hillsdale, I think, has about. 11% liberal, if I can remember it correctly. And whereas the liberal arts colleges, it's sort of in the range, zero to 5% conservative for, for a lot of the ones like Smith and Wellesley and ones that are down at the ends there. So it's the sort of very left-leaning uh, schools are less politically diverse even than Hillsdale. But 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 amongst the right-leaning ones, Hillsdale's really off the charts. Yeah, um, and then... Yeah. And then the other right-leaning ones are, you know, Utah State, Brigham Young, right, Mormon School, uh, Wyoming. Uh, you have these uh, te Texas, uh, like technical schools, A&M and Texas Tech. People think of Texas as sort of a uh, bluing state, but it's interesting that the young people still more conservative than liberals in uh, colleges, not not Austin, you know, UT Austin, I'm sure. Uh, but then you have Wyoming, you have Kansas State uh, University, you have Baylor, you have Clemson, you have University of Alabama. Uh, these are, you know, these are the conservative uh, schools. The, um, um, but you know, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I would not have, you know, I would, I don't know, I, I would have suspected that maybe no uh, flagship university uh, would have had more conservatives than I would have maybe, you know, maybe Utah. Uh, I would have guessed, um, but not these other ones. So maybe, I mean, maybe the. Um, you know, it's sort of like the people expect the, you know, these like states to become more, everything to be more liberal over time and these states especially to become more democratic over time. You know, maybe, maybe that's not going to happen, right? Maybe Texas, you know, if the educated public in Texas is still, you know, going to be majority conservative, that means Texas might be safe for the Republican column for a while. Uh, do you think that sounds right? Yeah, I think that does sound right. I mean, I think one thing that's occurring is, and, and cause, cause what we, what I did was I looked at segregation 
you know, how much are conservatives or white Christians or, or these groups um, disproportionately concentrated in certain uh, schools and not in other schools? And, and what you see is the, uh, the sort of white conservative, in general, conservatives are more concentrated than liberals. Um, it would suggest that, and, and particularly white conservatives and white Christians, the pattern seems to be that if you had a really bright, you know, white Christian kid from, let's say, Wyoming or from from Texas or, or wherever, um, they might may be less likely to head for the Ivy League or head for uh, an East Coast or liberal arts college than a liberal. And so I think one of the things that's going on is that there is a certain degree to which these students are staying in state if they're living, if they're from a, a red state. Um, and so, yeah, I think you might get that, uh, you know, maintenance of these sorts of voting patterns, including amongst elites because of this phenomenon. Um, and, and, and that's partly why I argue that in, in a way, whites, whites, Christians, white conservatives are becoming, you could argue they're maybe becoming a somewhat more self-conscious group as they decline, as their numbers are, are much smaller than they used to be then that becomes a basis for a kind of identity politics, oddly. <laughs> so, Well, yeah, I mean, some of these places, I, you know, I don't know if, you know, they're, uh, you know, is, uh, are there a lot of like, you know, people who could go to the coast who, who don't, I mean, like University of Arkansas, for example, I don't think, you know, the average standardized test is, you know, very high. So it, part of it might be, you know, the liberal schools might just be getting, everybody except Hillsdale and, and Mormons, like cons- people who are self-consciously conservative <laughs> or, or self-consciously Mormon. I, you know, Wy- University of Wyoming, I, you know, I, I, it's probably just, you know, these are probably just people who, um, you know, there might be some who are, who could go to like, you know, better schools, but it seems like a lot of cases, maybe, maybe not. Um, so maybe that's, maybe that's. Yeah, but all you need is a small, I mean, a small difference, let's say between the ones who could could go to a better school, let's say out of state, or choose not to for whatever reason. I mean, if it's even a slight difference between a, a liberal kid from Wyoming and a conservative kid, then that's going to matter at the aggregate level. Yeah. 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 It's not always, yeah, it's not like the most natural thing for someone to want to move around to, you know, wherever they can, you know, the best university they could get into. I think a lot of people are connected to home. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how many, like, I don't know how many people, you know, these states like Wyoming and so forth. I mean, they were founded by people who left home and went and settled, you know, somewhere and like, you know, the of <laughs> so I don't know if they're necessarily the kind of people who would necessarily be, uh, you know, uh, attached to, to where they live, but you know, some of them, some of them must be, there's this, uh, uh, there, you know, there's this, um, yeah. I mean, what do you think about, um, I don't know. Like, what do you think? I'm going to write something about this, and this might be out by the time uh, by the time we uh, release this podcast. Um, you know, do you have an idea of like sort of the roots of you know the culture wars, the sort of urban rural divide? Is it just? I think you know you put a lot of stock in ideas. Um, just you know, there's this you know expressive you know uh, ideology that you know elites have, and there's you know it, it bounces up against I think human nature to a certain extent. These people who just you know are socially conservative or ethnocentric to a certain degree uh, is is that is that how you is that how you see it, or do you think there's something there's something deeper um, going on here that can sort of explain culture wars across uh, the sort of a similar culture war across developed countries? Yeah, I think I think the core is the sort of Jonathan Haidt mechanism, you know, 
certain types of people like seeing messy dots on a screen and other people want to see him in a neat triangle, <laughs> you know, his paper from, from 2018 with all those other psychologists. But I think, I mean, that, that's obviously very correlated with that, that sort of disposition for kind of order and stability versus change and difference is, I think, at the core of, of politics. And I think that those sort of psychological dispositions then, they lead people to select for those environments, which tend to be the more conservative environments. So you're getting, you know, you start with a kind of evolved psychological difference that, that, that selects people into different environments, which accentuates those differences. That's the, that's the sort of pattern I think we're, we're kind of in. Um, and so I do think that that's the starting block. Now what happens is you get a different reaction to immigration. So one of the big patterns has been this polarization around the immigration issue in the U S in Canada, in Britain, it's, most extreme in the U.S. and Canada, from what I've seen of the data, but it's it's gone from like 10, 12 points in as 2012 to 50 points by 2016 in the U.S. and in Canada between 2013 and 2019, something similar. So, uh, what I think you're getting is a sorting of the electorate based on that disposition. Now, of course, there is party queuing and messaging, but like in the Canadian case, the conservative side has not been pushing an immigration restrictionist lines. So, but at the same time, if you look at the survey data, that's favored by a lot of conservative voters. And so the sorting, I think, is going on, and I think it's based on psychology. Now, culture wars is, is a sort of liberal or left liberal reaction to that populist conservatism that wants less change, less difference, more order. And then the left side is moralizing that as you're close-minded, you're deplorable, racist, etc. Um, and then the sort of conservative side is then reacting against being called deplorable, or in the British case, we had various politicians who called, you know, working class British people racists in a way, or implied that they were. So you have this kind of dynamic going back and forth. It's a second order moral conflict that's built on this first order psychological divide. So I see that as the dynamic that we're in right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. The height stuff used to be more convincing to me. Um, you know, do you think people who want stability and, and predictability and order that they, you would vote for Donald Trump? Is, is that the way to, is that the way to get stability and order? It seems to be that, you know, there's, there's, you know, it seems to me, I hear liberals now and they're, you know, trust the experts, you know, they, they seem to be most, you know, the most small C conservative trust institutions, you know, whoever has a degree, whoever's expertise, who, you know, every government program, you know, every, you know, they, they seem to be some of the most, you know, like conservative people I've ever seen. They don't tr distrust anything. I mean, they, they really believe in our institutions. So I don't know. I don't know if that like, that's psychological, that's the sort of psychological cleavage there. Well, I guess you you might be willing to vote for a disruptor if you think they will bring back, you know, make America great again. What, you, what, what you're voting for is somebody who's going to bring back stability on a kind of identity level, let's say. So even though they are going against the system, if you, if you kind of think the system is what is standing in the way of you having a more cohesive uh, society that looks more like the past, then you will go with a disruptor. When we've seen this time and time again with populists in various contexts, in, by the way, including like, you know, 
sectarian politics in Northern Ireland, you know, people voting for Ian Paisley, you know, that kind of thing. Paisley was a disruptor, but on the other hand, hey, he's the one who's going to guarantee that that we're not going to be in a united Ireland. You know, so so it is, I, I think it makes sense, similarly with Brexit. Like if you think about, hey, they're going to protect our identity, but to do that, they have to disrupt the existing elite. And then on the other hand, on the other side, they want to stick with the existing elite because they will protect uh, diversity and change and, and that dispensation. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it strikes me that the, that that theory is sort of it, it's uh, it's unfalsifiable, right? You could say, oh, they want order, and then but then the other people they want a disruptor. Oh, they just want a different, you know, they 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 just they really secretly want order. So I don't know if like the order thing, you know, ex, you know, explains it. You know, the stability. I, I think there's something there related to race and gender, but I, I think it's like it's too abstract um, to say order. Like, so if you look at like economic policy, right? I mean. Yeah, the populists, I mean, they, maybe they're more left-wing than traditional Republicans have been on economic policy, but, you know, still, I mean, the, the fact that the populists do not prioritize economic stability, right? They, they don't say, oh, you know, we're, we, we, we care, you know, they're, they're not being drawn to Trump for, you know, his trade policy or whatever. They don't care. They care about immigration. They care about, you know, PC. Um, and so, like, that's the entire thing of economics. Like, it's, you know, stability doesn't seem to explain anything about the right versus left. And then, like, you know, foreign policy, I don't know that you can explain like stability is like anything to do with any of that. So it's just like, it seems to me it's, it's more narrow. It's just like these, you know, it's race and it's gender and it's sexuality. And it's not like, it's not like stability order because like we have a certain order now. Right. And so like, you know, there's people who are defending it and people who want to, you know, radically upend it. And you could say they're going back to a different order, but you know, then that's just like, everything is just order. Right. In, in that case, it's not well, like, <laughs> from the other. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it depends. You're right. I mean, I mean, the thing about gender and race and these demographics is they, they give you really weak models of, of, you know, of voting. I mean, that, that'll give you at the most, maybe 10% of the variation. No, I, mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, um, I mean, attitudes toward these things. I don't mean just, you know, okay. Just, well, attitudes towards race and gender. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's, exactly. that's, I suppose to the extent that that sort of is really about some kind of continuity with the past returning to a past dispensation. So the, the question, you just have to look at the huge, you know, powerful correlations between a question like things in America were better in the past or American culture was better in the past. I mean, that, that is just so much more powerful, many times more powerful than anything demographic in predicting a Trump vote uh, or predicting a, a Brexit vote, by the way. So that, you know, I'm quite convinced by the the strength of these correlations that that's what's going. That's what's at the core of this is things in America were better in the past. You know, the end of story. Um, then there are other questions like okay, support for death penalty, support for strict child rearing, the kind of you know authoritarianism literature. I mean, that's that's a reasonably good predictor. It's better than the demographics. It's not as good as the things American culture was better in the past. I mean, that is far, far more, more, uh, important. So I just think there's this desire for, um, yeah, more of a continuity with the past and less, you know, seeing difference as disorderly, seeing change as loss, you know, those core motivations, I think, and then you'll, you'll vote for whoever will get you that dispensation again. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think that's completely wrong. I think there's something there about the um, 
<laughs> I was looking at some breakthrough <laughs> data and they were like, oh, you know, had the internet has been, you know, bad for society. I'm like, oh, somebody could think the internet was bad for society. And it was like Brexit voters, like overwhelmingly, I guess. <laughs> the internet has been bad for society. And I was surprised that like, you know, somebody could actually think that. I mean, it has problems, but, you know, I mean, you know still, I mean, the, the benefits seem overwhelming to me. Well, um, well, the other thing I would say is like, you can see on certain questions like the, on the pandemic stuff, that that is less important it doesn't sort the electorate uh, as well. So, for example, a lot of Brexit supporters supported, uh, back, you know, all of the uh, lockdown restrictions. Uh, they weren't necessarily anti-lockdown in a big way. Now, it was a little different in the U.S. and Canada, of course, but uh, still, I don't think that's as powerful. It's it's not as powerful as the um, as the sort of uh, things that, things were better in the past. Uh, if we're trying to yeah. pick up. Yeah, well, the lockdown, I mean, the thing is, it just, uh, I was like, yeah, I, was, I also saw the, in the, like the uh, far right in Germany was also marching against the lockdown. So it does seem, I, I did see actually some data showing, it, it showed cross, across nationally and it showed, you know, European country after European country, the right was generally uh, against more and more restrictions. So it, it, there does seem to be a pattern there. Um, and that's mm-hmm. actually quite you know, inter- interesting too, because like you know, with the, the st- what would the stability and order, you know, what would, what would that what would that predict? Right, I think it would predict, I think it would predict something like closer to China. I mean, I think that's a regime which just seems all about <laughs> stability and order, and you know, they just are scared to death of COVID, and 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 you know, just like you know, let whatever happen, let it rip through the population, you know, let it you know kill as many people as possible. We need our we need our freedom, and we need to be able to live our lives. Um, that seems to be like the anti-stability. Or how, so, how, you know, how does how does the theory explain that? It's it's it's, it's sort of a it's it's an anomaly, isn't it? It is an anomaly, and it doesn't. It's not explained by um, by this theory at all. But that but that's one of the reasons I think that you know no populist party in Europe really has led with this issue. I mean, the, va- the the whole lockdown vaccine thing has not been really front and center for any serious populist party in Europe. I mean, they've all led on the migration sort of issue. And so that's kind of an example of what I mean is that this isn't... Nigel Farage tried to do a bit on, on anti-lockdown stuff in Britain. It went nowhere. I think that's the dominant pattern, I would say. I don't... You know, of course... To the extent, if the right sort of talks it up, then some people will take a party cue and adopt that point of view. But I think it's pretty—it's a lot flimsier than the uh, identity stuff, and, and particularly the uh, desire for less change. You know, I think so, that's yeah. Sort of- so I saw some pretty—I saw some pretty, you know, strenuous pro- protests um, against lockdowns. I think in like Belgium or the Netherlands, some of these northern—I don't know if they were necessarily right coded. Maybe it was just all you know, young people were just you know angry, and maybe they were cross ideological. Maybe it wasn't as you know, maybe it wasn't like a right wing thing. Um, yeah, yeah. In America, well, like Canada, for that's that, like in Canada, the trucker thing and the uh, you know, there's a significant youth and young person element to support for conservatism now in Canada on the back of these lockdown restrictions, being anti-lockdown, I think that's more of a libertarian, I think in a way that Canadian libertarian populist movement is a bit of an outlier and it's not really similar to what we've seen on populist right parties elsewhere. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's, int- I mean, that's, that is interesting. Yeah. I was watching uh, as a more uh, speech and I remember uh, this was, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, this was, when did, when did, when was the, uh, when was the French election it was like late 2021 or early 2022. Um, I think it was late, late 2021. 
I never said because yeah, I'm, I'm trying, trying to remember. remember the, I, I think it was 2022, but uh, yeah, it was no, definitely it was 2022 because I remember Philippe Lemon was telling me that uh, uh, that uh, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine really screwed with Zamor's chances. So it must have been it must have been in 2022. Um, uh, the um, but I but in 2022 or 2021, I see a Zamor rally and they're all wearing masks outside. Maybe this was like during Christmas, and like the idea that an American far right, I mean, right, even a right, right rally, right. people would be wearing masks outside. I mean, like you know, just unthinkable. So it really was a it does seem like it was a completely uh different issue. Um, in Europe, okay. I, I want I want people to be anti-lockdown. Right, <laughs> right. So you know, yeah, I hope I wish it would motivate somebody, but yeah, maybe it's more optimistic. If it's more, uh, uh, well, I guess it's not optimistic if Europeans, you know, all were willing to go along with it. I, I think that that's uh, that's a negative. But oh well, you know, I go I go where the where the evidence uh, where the evidence leads. Um, George Mason, where's George Mason on this? So you have, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, you have at the end, you have this, um, and you have an interactive um, table um, that we link to on the uh, on the uh, on the website where the report is. Um, and so you just, I mean, it's just very cool to sort of look through this. Um, I know, you know, University of Idaho, you know, more liberal than conservatives. Uh, George Mason, I, you know, is is interesting, right? So I saw the George Mason one. It's twenty seven conservative, twenty eight. Uh, moderated 45 liberal and you know george mason i mean george mason is the home of sort of intellectual libertarianism um very interesting that it's uh the student body is, is left leaning maybe it's just northern virginia yeah. that's, although 27 27 is actually reasonably high as a conservative share for a kind of dc based school obviously it's a very racially diverse you know university which you know it's, so it's kind of I, I would almost, you know, compared to the Ivy Leagues, which are sort of 10 to 15% conservative, it's still substantially more conservative. So it would have more viewpoint diversity there. Uh, but yeah, there's that tool, which, which we link to in the report, which allows you to sort of look at these schools by share of conservatives and Republicans and Democrats and so on. Um, but I think one of the broader points, which I think will come out in a subsequent report, is just how important the viewpoint diversity is, right? We, we talk a lot about uh, having Chicago principles and the right free speech, academic freedom policies, and the, the importance of administrations, but arguably they can only do so much. I mean, if your peers on social media and in class, and that's who you socialize with, and that they can make or break your experience at university, they have a lot of power over you. And so even if the like at the University of Chicago, even if they're doing a really good job in terms of formal protections for academic freedom, you could still have a quite repressive atmosphere. And one of the things that I think is going to come out, well, I know will come out <laughs> in that report is, is just how important having a very high viewpoint diversity score is for having uh, high openness in terms of discussions and, and freedom, intellectual freedom. And, and in fact, you need to have that if you're really going to be free to have discussions. Well, this is this is the entire justification for diversity, for, you know, DEI, affirmative action. It's like you get different viewpoints, and then, but like you can just, you know, select people on different viewpoints. You could just directly select in that rather than use race as a proxy, um, especially if the people of the race are going to be the same, poli you know, the uh, minority race are going to be of the same politics as the majority of the student body. That really doesn't um, add anything 
Yeah, so it's, it seems to me there's like a missed opportunity here for conservatives to say, okay, you believe in diversity, like you should. I mean, it's easily manipulable, right? Anyone can just, if you just ask people, you know, are you conservative or, or liberal, they can, you know, check a box and say they're conservative if you gave affirmative action to conservatives. Um, but, you know, there's the, you can look at like extracurriculars and stuff like that. Did you, you remember that um, the one data where conservative uh, extracurriculars actually hurt you? I think this was like Princeton. Somebody got a hell of the data. This was a while ago. This might have been, you know, 10 or 15 years ago now. But they had like yeah. um, people who had, uh, uh, thing, you know, things that were sort of coded as conservative, like future farmers of America or, so, or something like that, you know, something like that. They were, um, they were hurt in college admissions, you know, controlling for, you know, L- uh, SAT scores and uh, GPA and, and all that. Um, so, yeah, it seems to me, it seems to me yeah. like they're just on the DEI, their, their own affirmative action people, you know, on their own terms, there's a case for, uh, you know, affirmative action for conservatives. Well, well, this is, this is really interesting because in the context of the Harvard, uh, you know, affirmative action case, right, that if the, if the rationale for, for affirmative action is diversity, this is actually a case where diversity really can be demonstrated to have a positive effect and, and you can measure it and prove it in the data. Uh, but the, pro- the only problem is it's political diversity and it's not demographic diversity. Uh, <laughs> but this kind of shows that, that actually what these universities have been doing is focusing solely on race and gender uh, or, or, or race essentially as diversity. Um, but it kind of shows they're clearly not very interested in political or other kinds of diversity because they've actively sought to reduce political diversity through forms of political discrimination, such as push, you know, d- diversity statements, essentially political litmus tests for jobs, uh, signaling in terms of political causes that universities support, so creating a hostile environment for conservatives. So all of these actions that universities have taken are in the direction of creating conformity around a set of progressive political values and driving out the political diversity. So yeah, and what's interesting is that when you poll on these questions, uh, you actually find that there's pretty good bipartisan support for uh, paying as much or more attention to political diversity as race and gender diversity in uh, in various types of hiring, for example, or various types of, of membership. So actually, there's a lot of support for giving as much attention to political diversity as to these other forms of diversity. Um, do I think universities will do it? No. Uh, but I think it's, if they were consistent, if they truly believed in diversity, they would. Why don't you, th- why don't you, um, here's an idea. Why don't you write an amicus brief to submit to the Supreme Court in the uh, Harvard uh, case that's before them right now and make this point because there's not a lot that people can say that it's new on this topic, but this is sort of, this is sort of new. I, you know, people can look at, Oh, you know, you're discriminating against Asians. Like, yeah, people have done that data, but this I think is something that's worth sort of pushing that you, 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 um, you can't really take this stuff at face value because obviously they don't uh, have you know affirmative action for people with the different ideas. That all they care about is race, and that they couldn't care less about uh, viewpoint diversity, which which they say they care about. So this is like a you know yeah. this is a this is a way to sort of uh, yeah win win the argument. Yeah, you're you're giving you don't give me some dangerous ideas here, Richard. But I've never done a <laughs> a brief before. But yeah, I think in a way it gives the lie to this idea that this is about that what they care about is diversity of thought, right? I think that you know because it's very very difficult to show that those demographic forms of diversity are produced. I mean, there's I'm obviously interested in measurable uh, outcomes, but to say that that produces a more diverse 
intellectual atmosphere or a substantially more diverse atmosphere. I think it's tricky to prove uh, empirically. I'd be interested in, in studies that have tried to do that, but I haven't seen any. Um, whereas in this case, yeah, I mean, it's very clear that uh, greater political diversity results in less self-censorship. So I think that that is a very obvious, but, but I think, but as you say, of course, it does sort of show that um, the interest in diversity f- full stop is just not there in terms of these, these universities. Yeah. So when you, um, yeah. So when you wrote this um, uh, report, I think it's, it's supposed to be somewhat of a guide for, right. Uh, for, you know, maybe parents or people deciding which college to go to. Is, is that right? It's, it's trying to help yeah. them sort of uh, understand the environment that they'll be stepping into. I think that's right. I think it is just a way of sort of, seeing, okay, well, this is what the student body looks like in this university versus that. Um, you know, it's prop any parents who, who may not realize what those liberal arts colleges, student bodies are really like, is it's, it's worth them consulting before they send their kid to Wellesley, if they're a, 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 some kind of a conservative. But um, yeah, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's not going to make a huge difference because a lot of people go in, in state, but but just just a tool that, that people can look at, um, just maybe to inform a, a decision they were probably going to make anyway. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I mean, I think I would rather if I was wanted to have intellectually stimulating conversation. I mean, I would, I think I would choose a very liberal school that had a higher SAT score than a lower school of, you know, I think a lot of these people at these state schools that call themselves conservatives that means you know tailgating and getting drunk and going to the football <laughs> game and cheering. I don't know if that means that you're going to get the uh, the best intellectual experience of, of your life. While you know, if you're if you have an intelligent kid who's interested in ideas, it still might be better to go into the liberal space if your other option is you know somewhere that's less intellectual overall. Yeah, I guess it depends what you're after. I mean, if you want to have open conversations, if you don't want to have if you think the political discrimination and bias is going to suffocate you in the sense will prevent you from reaching your full potential, then you shouldn't go to those schools. If you think that, okay, I can, you know, maybe I will by having arguments with people <laughs> spread my wings and sharpen my, my wits, then yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things in the Ivy League is if you look at the conservative students there, like if you take conservative students in the uh, conservative colleges, let's say in the mountain or, or southern states, you know, very high shares share that say they have the same political views as their parents. Uh, whereas the conservatives in the Ivy League, a much higher share of them seem to say they've got a different view than their parents. So maybe there's more of the, your kind of independent thinking conservative type that's in the Ivy. I mean, amongst that small 10 to 15 percent conservative in the Ivies. You know, you probably do have some very interesting people there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. I think that's that's. I think that's right. I mean, you know, it depends on what you want to do do with your life. I mean, you know, if even if you want to go into politics, I mean, you're going to be better off. Grad, you know, if you uh, even a conservative politics, you're probably better off signaling that you went to a a good school. Um, yeah, you know, it's um, it, you know, and then like you know, like oh, you know, my opinion, I like, I don't know, like I don't enjoy you know people who aren't you know 
that, that's smart. I, you know, I don't want to have a conversation with them about politics anyway. I mean, it's, it's, it's often like, you know, like it's, it's like, you know, their, their, you know, background and their intelligence and their, you know, the, the amount that they pay attention to things and the, and their reading just might not be up there. And, you know, it's like, oh, they're, they're diverse in their ideology, but none of them know anything. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, the best environment to, to talk to people. Well, well, maybe you're, we're, you're, we're too pointy headed. I mean, I, I also went to a kind of, as you did, you know, more, more liberal school, but I think, um, yeah, that's right. You've got to balance out a whole range of considerations, but, but if, you know, it is, I think a consideration, I mean, if you're going to, especially if you're going to be facing severe political discrimination, um, which could affect you in a whole range of walks of life, you know, <laughs> I mean, dating, partying, you know, who's going to come into a house with you. I think that that's, that could be an issue in the more extreme uh, left-leaning schools, right? So I think it it all depends what your aim is. If you just want to have intellectual combat, um, yeah, maybe just head into the hornet's nest and, and you know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, my experiences have all been good at, you know, I had a year in, in Harvard and, uh, you know, they, they've all been, uh, partly, of course, you have different types of uh, environments in these universities you can select into, the more sane ones, even if they are left of center, they're not aggressively intolerant left of center. So I, I think if you're able to to do that, then you're probably okay. And then you, if you have your networks that are, you know, allow you to express yourself, then fine. Yeah. And I think that um, for the dating thing is interesting. I don't think it's as much, you know, oh, like people are going to say you're a Trump supporter. I don't want to date you. I mean, that happens, but I, I don't think I like, you know, people can say whatever they want in a poll. I think when people meet people in the flesh, I mean, I think that it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I think it, what women say they want in polls or what they'll see, you know, or what men say it, like what they do. I think there's just not much of a connection there. Um, but uh, I think what I would take the politics if I had, you know, college age kids, I think what I would, or I was thinking about going to college now, um, I think I would take it, the politics as sort of a proxy for like, okay, you want to form a, uh, you want to eventually get married, form a stable uh, heterosexual relationship, like let's say that that's what you want. Um, you know, the percentage Republican or percentage conservative is probably a good proxy for like, you know, percentage of people who are looking for something like that. Um, while a liberal school is probably, you know, if you just want to, uh, you know, just, uh, sow your wild oats for, uh, four years, you know, maybe, maybe a liberal school is not that people don't do that at conservative schools, but I think the conservative schools probably, um, probably more conducive to, uh, forming long-term, you know, monogamous traditional kind of relationships. So that, that's, that's the way I would, I would look at the data. I'm trying to imagine sort of Oberlin or Wellesley as a party school and I'm struggling, but yeah. uh, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. These, they're not party schools, right? I guess if you want, if you want, if I wonder what, well, you know what I, I wish you the fire data had, I wish they had a percentage for, I wish they asked about number of sexual partners. I think that would be interesting. I would love to see Oberlin versus university of Alabama. I, I would yeah. I would love to see the difference. I would love to see the difference between males and females and getting into all of that of the politics. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, 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 I'll talk to them, but I'm not sure I'm going to get a positive answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's for a future. Okay. Well, there's an opening. There's they, there's research they won't do. So maybe, maybe that, you know, opens up something for us. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So, um, yeah, so this is all interesting. We'll post the links. Um, is there any, um, what are you working on now, Eric? What's, what's next for you? Well, uh, yeah, I've got some some think tank reports that are one in Britain uh, with Policy Exchange and one in, in with Manhattan Institute that are ma mainly looking at this issue of uh, 
critical race theory, critical social justice, how widely is it being taught in schools? So we're surveying 18 to 20 year olds about their school experiences. So that expect that to be out. Uh, well, the Brit- British one will be out probably in a week or so. And then the US one, uh, maybe in a few weeks. So, or at least a, a preliminary from the US will be out in a few weeks on that. So watch this space. Great. Yeah. So the, today we're recording this on October 11th. So, you know, this, this will be either released or about to be released probably about the time uh, most people are uh, listening to this. Okay, great. Well, Eric, it's been great having you on and uh, yeah, until next time. Great, Richard. Thanks a lot.